Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Back in 2019, San Francisco had one of the tightest office real estate markets in the country, with about 5% vacancy and record-setting rental rates. Then came the pandemic and the probably permanent shift away from daily office trips for knowledge workers. Now the vacancy rate has risen to 24%, and that doesn't even count all the ways that office buildings end up sitting mostly empty. So what to do? San Francisco's downtown needs some kind of reimagining. We'll dive deep into one idea floating around. Why not make all those empty office towers into desperately needed housing? That conversation's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The numbers on San Francisco's downtown are grim. The vibes are off, too. It's not just cubicles that are deserted. So are the sidewalks and many of the cafes, the stores, the small businesses that cater to the office crowd. Rarely has a place designed to accommodate so many people had so few walking around. So that's led to some radical proposals based on a simple logic. One, we clearly don't need much of the office space that exists in downtown because what it means to work has at least semi-permanently shifted. And two, San Francisco needs all the housing it can get up and down the market. Put those two things together, and it makes a lot of common sense to people to turn offices into homes. The way the show is going to go, we're going to dive deep into this one possible solution for our downtown office buildings. But as you're going to hear, it's pretty tough. So we're going to want to hear from you, too. What would you do with an empty or nearly empty office tower in downtown San Francisco? You can give us a call now. 866-733-6786. What would you do with one of those empty office towers? Numbers 866-733-6786. Okay, first, joining us to talk about the reality of converting big office towers into housing, we're joined by Kevin Trong, a staff writer at the San Francisco Standard and author of the recent article, Turning Downtown Offices into Housing Isn't the Solution You Think It Is. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. We're also joined by Sujata Srivastava, uh, San Francisco Director at SPUR, a nonprofit public policy organization in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. We've also got a couple of developers here. Matt Field, president of TMG Partners, San Francisco developer. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And we've also got Oz Erickson, chairman of the Emerald Fund, another San Francisco development firm, builds commercial retail residential projects and actually has done one of these conversions uh, fairly recently. Thanks for uh, joining us, Oz. Thanks very much for inviting me. Kevin, let's start with you. Talk about what's going on. People see that fewer workers are going to the office. They walk the deserted streets of the financial districts. And then they ask, why not make these towers into housing? Right. I mean, I guess what got me interested in this reporting was that confluence of factors, the fact that people are going less into the office, you know, downtown sort of feels deserted. At the same time, we still have this um, 
housing crisis and homelessness crisis that has gotten worse. And whenever I was doing reporting on kind of the return of office workers or the lack thereof, the first solution or one of the first solutions always people would point out on social media is why don't we turn this into housing, some of these underused uh, office buildings into a place where people can live. It it seems like a solution to that problem. Um, So I went in and started asking people, why hasn't this happened? Um, And what I found out is that there may not be uh, very many entitlement or zoning restrictions, but it's generally a cost factor. Uh, The the two words that always um, were brought up whenever I asked developers like, oh, is about this was a seismic retrofitting, not Mm -hmm. necessarily the sexiest term, but uh, really a a big factor when it comes to construction. I feel like the other one is floor plates, (laughs) which uh, (laughs) what is what is a floor plate just in case that comes up? Floor plate is basically the structure of uh, the way that an office or any sort of uh, uh, commercial structure is laid out. Um, you, you can think about it as, you know, the 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 way that a floor um, is structured, the, the area of a floor. Yeah. Um, Sujata at Spur, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we're, when we talk about 24% vacancy, that refers to the space that's been leased, so that maybe that's been leased to Google or some other large firm, and then they may sublease within a a building. So when we talk about then office utilization, how many people are showing up to the offices, what what do we know about the trend of how many people are actually going to the office right now in San Francisco? So most of the data that we have is based on, you know, these security systems and uh, how they track how many people are actually in the office. And I think that they're showing something in the range of 30 to 40 percent return to office in San Francisco, which is lower than a lot of other metro areas. So I think, you know, generally speaking, it means that people are in the office about two days a week. Mm, Yep. And that's just, I mean, that leads to just on an ur- urban level, that leads to an entirely different city, right? Yeah, I mean, what it means is, you know, first of all, San Francisco lost a lot of workers during the pandemic. And that includes everything from mid-career managers to younger workers in um, the service industry. And a lot of them are, are not coming back. They found that they can live more affordably in other places uh, in the United States. So we've had a decline in the worker population. And then, you know, a lot of employers are allowing those flexible workplaces. So there's not really a compelling reason for people to come back. And with fewer people downtown, as you said in our intro, a lot of our businesses, small businesses are struggling to stay open. And um, it's, it's really impacting the environment downtown and kind of the sense of place for downtown. You know, Matt Field, uh, I think a lot of people... Earlier in the pandemic, I think a lot of people were anticipating that things would be slightly more back to normal in terms of the number of people who were going back to the offices. Not everybody thought that. There were a lot of divergences of opinion. But there's not a lot of companies that are signing new leases, right? I know that your company has signed a lease at 600 or has had Ripple Labs sign a lease, a blockchain crypto company at 600 Battery Street. But that's there aren't a lot of people out there looking to do those leases, right? So have we even hit the bottom, we think, for the office rental market in downtown San Francisco? You know, it's really actually hard to say. Um, I think that it's very difficult for companies to make decisions right now. Um, the continuation of the pandemic and um 
the inability to get people to come back to the office in the face of the pandemic is really, really hard. Um, and I think companies are really trying to figure it out. There are still active requirements out there. They are definitely way down from where they they were. Um, and I think until we figure out living with the pandemic and what that really means, it's going to be hard to know what demand looks like in, in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these companies all hired lots and lots and lots of people. I mean, that is the funny thing here. We didn't have really have a recession um, for most of these tech companies. Um, they actually grew and added lots of employees. At least not yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I just mean during the pandemic. Yeah, to, yeah, date, yeah. We, to date, you know, we've had actually lots of hiring, but there's not lots of office leasing. And, you know, like most people are those all those new hires. They got a 10 by 15 office. It's just their second bedroom. Um, they never came to the office. So um, and the companies don't know how they're going to use these people. So I, I don't think we quite know. Um, Oz Erickson, you have actually done one of these conversions. It's at 100 Van Ness, uh, was one of the key key examples in Kevin Trong's article for the San Francisco Standard. Tell us a little bit about just what it was to complete that that project. Well, you know, first of all, the, you, you have to have an office building that is going to be empty. <laughs> That's the first major requirement. Mm -hmm. Many leases last for many, many years, and it's difficult to find an office building that is like vacant. truly empty, right? They're truly empty. This this building indeed was empty. We were able to, and, and we were thus able to uh, have the possibility of converting it. When you're actually converting an office building, uh, Kevin was exactly right. You have to have a structurally sound building. We fortunately, the, our, our building was a AAA building and it was built in 1974 to uh, public standard, uh, public uh, 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 entry uh, standards. So it was built to a much higher seismic standard than normal buildings back then. In addition, we were able to remove uh, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of tons of stone siding, which lowered the weight for the building. Mm. So we were actually technically able to easily meet the seismic requirement. In addition, our, 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 our four plate was around 16, 17,000 square feet, which worked out perfectly for changing the space uh, into residential. So you needed to have all of those things. If you have a big typical office plan of say a 50,000 square foot office space, you, you're way further from a window line than you than you were required to be to put residential. You don't want to be much more than 35, 40 feet from a window line in order to put a residential unit. People like people like windows. People like a window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I want to, you know, I, this is this is actually very easy to like draw on a piece of paper so people can understand it. It's harder to get across what this really means in, uh, uh, over the air. But basically, right, if you have a bigger floor plate, that means that in the center of that floor plate, you're really far from a window, right? I mean, you're, you're, what might you be, like even 60 feet or more? Uh, you, you know, uh, you could certainly be 100 feet from, from a window line, and that is way too far. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what you would have to do in those cases, you, you, just, you treat the building like a donut, you cut the hole out in the middle. But even though that, that's a very expensive process, and it means totally re uh, putting in new elevators, new staircases, new it's a it's a massive amount of work, and even then you still have to build the stu stru uh, structural the structural frame to hold up the building. It's very very expensive. Is there a class of building in San Francisco that might be particularly amenable to this process? Well, Matt, you know this as well as I do, but the, a lot of the older office buildings. <laughs> 
that they have not been structurally upgraded to meet current standards. You only have the way the city works. If you uh, just do tenant improvements that are more that are less than two floors, you don't have to structurally build the building up to modern codes. So a lot of the buildings would have to have massive structural rehabilitations in order to meet current uh, seismic codes. So. Not sure there are a ton of buildings that would be uh, available for doing this. Matt, what do you think? You know, in- interesting. Uh, we actually did a lot of this post.com. Um, my recollection, and that's the same sort of period that, you know, we're talking about with, with, uh, with Van Ness. Um, my recollection is somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four million feet of buildings were converted. And those were mostly historic buildings. You know, as Oz points out, when you have a high-rise building, the cladding on the building isn't very attractive, uh, usually in these 70s, vintage 70s, 80s, you know, whatever vintage buildings, historic buildings, the cladding, you know, lends themselves to being reused as, you know, brick exteriors. But you do fall into the the uh, seismic upgrade, all the, you know, effectively all the codes. Um, and I think it's really, a ma- you know, sort of two pieces of math is the way I think about this, which is um, you have the math of that floor plate configuration. And I would, I would make it you know, think about it like this. If the unit wants to be 600 square feet and it's 30 feet deep, that's 20 feet of glass, right? Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's deeper, you're getting narrower and narrower gl- glass line and it's, you know, it's a bowling alley. We um, might need to hold so- on to the second piece of math. We're going to come back to the math of the cost of these places in just a second. We're talking about converting office towers to housing with a grade panel. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about converting San Francisco's downtown office towers to housing and the complexities and difficulties of doing so. We're joined by Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. If you want the deep dive on this, you can look to his article, Turning Downtown Offices into into Housing Isn't the Solution You Think It Is. We're also joined by Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco director of SPUR. We've also got Matt Field, president of TMG Partners, a San Francisco development firm, and Oz Erickson, chairman of Emerald Fund, another uh, San Francisco development firm. Um, before we go back to the math of what makes doing this somewhat difficult, we would like to hear from you. What would you do with an empty or nearly empty office tower in downtown San Francisco? And we have another call out for you, too. If you have a business, in the financial district or in San Francisco's downtown. 
How has your experience changed and what do you need to do to keep things afloat given these changes in how and where people are working? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email's forum at kqed.org. Okay, Matt. So the, the standard thing I think people are thinking is this has got to be cheaper because there's already a huge building there, <laughs> right? And there must be some cost. There's certainly um, there's a lot of energy embedded in all those materials in the building. Like there's, there, It seems like it should work. But you were giving us some of the math on what makes this these conversions difficult. Yeah, so I'll jump back. So there's the efficiency. Can you even lay the units out? Like is the floor plate just too big, too deep? Um, the other thing that's a little nuanced but is really important to understand is in a office building, the tenants pay a, a share of the corridors, the mechanical spaces. All of those things are charged back to the tenants. And in a residential building, it's embedded in your rent. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is that those corridors, mechanical spaces and lobbies and all that stuff are probably 25% or so of the total space in the building. So when you convert you've got 25% less space producing revenue than you did as an office building. So one of your first challenges is you just have overall less space. You're selling the usable space um, in the building as Mm. as residential. Um, So there is inherently a challenge already with just having less space to make it more palatable to convert. Um, Beyond that, the Building systems probably haven't been upgraded, particularly for residential. So if you think about um, a residential use, it's very, very different um, in terms of how we feed mechanical systems to them. We can reuse parts of these things, but they are not very efficient. Um, The elevatoring systems, typically, we're moving a lot more people in an office building than in a residential building. You know, if you think about in a thousand square feet of office, we probably have anywhere from five, six, seven workers. Um, and in a thousand feet of residential, we might have a couple of people. So we've got excess vertical carrying capacity. There's just mismatches the all over the place. Yeah, basically. all over the place. They're yeah. just, yeah. and so, but if you find the right buildings, they do convert. They're hard to find. And to Oz's point, you know, corporate dispositions like a AAA, where the building gets completely vacated, present an opportunity which is super challenging as office because you got to lease it from 0%. Um, and it's a lot easier to see how that flips over. Than- yeah, I might, I, Matt, I'd like, I'd like to add, you know, when you're doing a, a rehab, if you're taking a big office building, Alexis, you have to rip out all the elevators and then you have to put them in in new places. You have to rip out a lot of the staircases if they're not in the right position and rebuilds. You're doing close in, infill type of construction work. And you're dust, dust, not, and then you're putting in all the the whole distribution systems, the bring changing the power grid. Your the actual out of pocket costs are very similar, even for an efficient building like 100 Van S. The overall total costs are almost the same as building a, a brand new uh, uh, residential building from scratch. Um, you yeah. do you do get the extra height. The, that the existing height of San Francisco, uh, uh, 100 Van S was 400 feet. The zoning height was. 200 feet so you got the extra height which made it worthwhile but the expenses for a typical conversion for an office building would be substantially more than the expenses of building a residential building from scratch as a general rule so i think 
And I think less efficient. That's the other thing you can, when you build from scratch, you build super efficient because the problem in residential, when you're not getting revenue on any space you build that you can't rent is inefficiency is very, very expensive to the math. Got it. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this. What about outside cost factors though? Right. I mean, Spurs thinks about urban areas. Spurs thinks about urban life. These buildings are incredibly well situated within the city. They, you know, they can be as big as they are without having to fight anybody. And we've had these, you know, notorious fights over towers in San Francisco. Um, What about those factors? And do they need to be if we wanted these conversions to happen as a sort of civic polity, uh, would we need to incentivize them in some way um, because of these sort of bonuses to the city that would come with it? That's yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, the thing is, before the pandemic, downtown had 41 percent of the city's jobs, about two thirds of the office and hotel jobs. So it was just a huge place of activity and generated so much of the tax revenues that pay for all of the things that we need in the city. So there's kind of an outsized reason for us to care about the revitalization of downtown and creating more policies to allow the reactivation. I don't know that all of this means that office needs to be converted to residential. I think we can introduce some incentives for those some of those older office buildings to be a little bit updated, to be more responsive to how workers wanna work today. So introducing um, more outdoor spaces, having more amenities in the buildings could also help um, with leasing. I think you also need to think about what are the reasons why people want to be downtown beyond just being there for work. So we've been really interested at Spur at exploring what are other reasons to draw people to downtown uh, through arts, culture, festivals, um, waterfront access, and thinking about ways that we can also reactivate the ground floor. You know, when you're walking around downtown, you see a lot of empty storefronts. Uh, you don't see a lot of activity. So really thinking more about now that even before the pandemic, so much of our shopping happens online, folks aren't you know, really going to brick and mortar businesses in the same way that they did before. Can some of those spaces become uh, you know, uh, types of spaces that smaller businesses, artists, even small manufacturers can be using? So I think we just need to think co- really comprehensively about a variety of different strategies to get downtown to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, that that are much broader than just uh, this this very important topic of conversions. Yeah. No, I just like I think one thing we really like about this is it's just it's a deep dive into the complexities of one of the possible solutions. Not saying this is the one. Um, K- Terry in San Francisco. Let's get to some calls. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you for uh, having me. Great topic. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to visit. Real real quick. Um, real estate business. 30 years, developer, high-rise, mid-rise, low-rise. I actually know Oz Erickson um, from 20 years ago. <laughs> um, you, you, we've, we've, got, we've got 4 million square feet available, and that doesn't include the shadow space, right? Shadow space is space that's been leased, available. People are just sitting on those leases. They're not growing, so it's just going to sit pay for it. If you take a 10,000-square-foot plate of, of a property – you, you divide it up you know, on, on the exterior along the walls. You throw out your health and human services, your counseling, your school. Uh, these are the, the people that get the line, the, the window, the window well, uh, so to speak, so that you know they're they're there to support. 
tiny houses. So I'm, and I'm not kidding. You know, four plates or 10,000 average, probably a little bigger square feet, put 20 tiny houses on these floor plates. All the facilities are there. Electricity is there. HV, HVAC is there. Don't do anything. Don't change central core. Don't, don't, you know, you might have hmm. to change some exits, maybe, probably not. So I, I, I had this idea a couple of years ago, 20 years here in the city. I've seen it de- deteriorate only lately. It's been really bad. Um, I think we can, we can. You're thinking find, of this is like a transitional you know, housing kind of solution, or like it is, a, a trans, it is completely transition. It's transitory, right? I love that word lately. Uh, we, we're going to move through this. We will, uh, but we have to get people off the streets and let's get them educated. Let's get them off whatever uh, you know their dependencies might be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Catherine Stefani and I, we went out. We actually spoke to the homeless there. That's your supervisor. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, dear friend, we weren't getting the responses we thought we would get. Yeah, there's great spaces for you. The people on the streets were like, listen, we don't want to be in there. They steal my stuff. They take all of my gear. I've got nothing left. Uh, you know, there's, I'm talking about the current availability of, of homeless housing that's out there and the stock that's there now. And they don't want to do it. And I've heard that personally from these folks. Give them a nice, these tiny houses can be, 150, 250 square feet. I know it sounds silly. There's enough clear height in in these spaces. There's 10 feet. You can give them a square, build us a little house, you know, for a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, whatever. Maybe it's maybe it's 10. The lease itself could be signed uh, short term, two, three year lease, quarter million a floor. You know, maybe maybe we're at 400,000 a floor. Uh, we're back up to the 40 dollars a square foot that everybody wants. Well, actually, they wanted eighty a couple of years ago. But, <laughs> well, Terry, um, let me um, you know, I, let me start to. I, I like the. I love how you're spooling this out. But let me um, let me see. Uh, Kevin Trong, staff writer, San Francisco Standard. Hmm. Are you hearing people make you know what we've heard from Madfield, what we've heard from Oz Erickson, are like this is how we would make this into the kind of housing that we would generally build in the city. What we're hearing from Terry is this is how we would build extremely inexpensive housing to get people off the streets. Are you are you seeing that kind of more radical solution also being proposed or kicked around by anyone? Well, you know, we, we spoke to uh, some of the planning staff at uh, in, in the San Francisco planning department. And, and, you know, we're like, if cost was not necessarily a factor, what would what structures would kind of work for these types of conversions? And, you know, what they brought up was this idea kind of similar to what Terry um, raised of, of group housing. So, um, you know, smaller units, shared kitchen, shared sort of facilities, kind of similar to what an office building is laid out, laid out like currently, but, you know, s- splitting some of the uh, commercial space where people would work into the actual units themselves, that would be kind of a lower lift um, where, you know, sort of the expensive elements like plumbing, electricity, that might not have to be reconfigured entirely. Um, that kind of raises its own issues. Uh, you know, group housing has uh, been subject to some um, limitations of of building in the city. Uh, but if we're looking for solutions to kind of bring people out of housing insecurity, we may need a kind of wider array of tools uh, like like group housing or or like the solution that Terry is suggesting. Mm-hmm. We have some uh, 
extremely alternative ideas also coming in via the comments. Uh, Prithav tweets, uh, break down the top four from the inside, plant trees from the top, create an ecosystem that can help city smog. Rest can be made into residential. Uh, Melody uh, writes, why not use some of these larger spaces to grow food using hydroponics and grow lights? I think one of the hard things about San Francisco is even with this empty space, right, it's still pretty valuable in one way. Uh, or another. Let's get to uh, let's get to another call. Let's get to uh, Frank in San Francisco. Welcome, Frank. Yeah. Hey. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm an architect originally from Germany and uh, been living here 20 years. And I, what I wanted to contribute to this discussion is, uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to let the panel and, and the listeners uh, know that, like. For example, in Germany, there is uh, there's a law that any place where you put people to work uh, needs direct access to daylight. And so, I mean, this is a bit of an hypothetical. Uh, obviously, we have not gone that route here, but now we see uh, all these these problems that we are having with, with this conversion and, and having actually flexibility with the buildings that we are building. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, we are also in in modern office building. We're seeing projects where we want to improve uh, the interior environment for people. Like, for example, WRNS has built a uh, fantastic uh, headquarter for Microsoft uh, in in the South Bay, where they put in courtyards where they achieve that. Mm-hmm. So, I would I would love to see some lobbying on on the side of institutions like, like Spur or so for the future to come to a place where we, where we rethink how we build office space Mm -hmm. so that we don't face the problems that we are facing right now. Yeah. Frank, thank you for that uh, contribution. Sujata, do you want to um, take on that a little bit? Like, should we be designing our office buildings so that they did have more flexibility in terms of being converted into other types of uh, uses? Yeah, I think the caller makes a great point. And actually, that is what you're seeing already happening with a lot of the new construction and adaptation of office buildings. So um, we've been speaking to architects who are currently working on how to redesign spaces so that you can have more of that indoor-outdoor feeling and have more of a living room feel when you're at work, uh, which makes a lot of sense because we have discovered that this is really the preference that a lot of workers have. Um, it makes more sense probably when you have um, a master tenant or, you know, a, a, a built to suit kind of arrangement, like with Microsoft, uh, it might be a little bit trickier to do on a floor by floor basis. But I think that those kinds of um, policies to try to help these places convert a- into different uses uh, that need to be put in place and, and creating some incentives to do that um, from the city, from the state would really help and go a long way into kind of overcoming some of the cost barriers to creating that transformation. Uh, Oz Erickson, chairman at the uh, Emerald Fund, how long do you think vacancies would have to remain at, say, more than 20 percent for people to really start to consider more radical uh, solutions? Uh, It would have to be some extended period of time, because remember, a lot of those vacancies are individual floor by floor vacancies. uh, Most of the vacancies it, I would be willing to bet there's not a single uh, office building in San Francisco that doesn't have unexpired leases on it, mm-hmm. that has totally expired leases. So when somebody's in there for a 10-year lease, um, 
um, they, they, they block the entire work. It's exceedingly difficult to do a full structural seismic uh, building upgrade with any tenant in the building. Uh, so that is a major, major impediment to doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm not at all optimistic uh, of something of being able to transform the spaces. And, 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 and a bit of response to Frank's call, we're required to have uh, all building units in San Francisco are also required to have access to, to daylight. And if you don't have mechanical uh, air coming in, you're, you're required to have operable, operable uh, windows. It's just a, it's a very difficult process in order to, you know, I, I love the idea of somehow converting the office, the existing office space to, to, uh, uh, to uh, um, housing, but it, 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 it is complicated. Where do you put the bathrooms? How do you run the drain lines down? How do you, you know, you're going down through many, many different floors. It's, it's a complicated process and I'm, I'm not sure there's any easy solution to it. And I like who had this idea of designing buildings to, to be multifunctional, but they have to be designed in the beginning that way. And it would cost a bit more to do it, but it's, it's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. We are talking about converting San Francisco's downtown office towers to housing and, and other solutions to what happens to San Francisco's downtown now that just a mere fraction of the people who used to commute in every day are going in. We're joined by Oz Erickson, chairman at the Emerald Fund, a San Francisco development firm. Matt Field, president of TMG Partners, another San Francisco development firm. Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco director for SPUR, a nonprofit public policy organization in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, whose piece, Turning Downtown Offices into Housing, isn't the solution you think it is, inspired this segment. Thank you for that, Kevin. We also want to hear from you about how your experience has changed in downtown, are you running a business? What's happened with all the workers not not being there? What what's going on with your sandwich shop or your you know fixing shoes? All the kinds of things that used to be in the financial district. You can give us a call 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about San Francisco's downtown core, the changes that have come from working from home, and whether it makes sense to convert some of those office towers to housing. Joined by Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco director at Spur, Matt Field, president of TMG Partners, Oz Erickson, chairman of the Emerald Fund. Matt Field at TMG, wanted to ask you if the pipeline of buildings that's getting developed 
has changed. We've got one uh, comment uh, commenter who writes, um, why not wait until the economy and the world recover from the COVID nightmare, having moved to San Francisco in 1975 during the economic and energy crisis, having lived through the 2000 financial downturn and again in 2008 with the bank meltdown, everything eventually came back. How about continuing big development south of Market, Dogpatch, Bayview and not mucking up established neighborhoods? How about making BART less expensive so people can live further away uh, and commute in. And I just wonder if you know the the stage that we're in, where maybe it doesn't make sense to commit to converting one of these towers, but maybe it does make sense to not build another office tower and build housing instead. Well, clearly, I think people are looking at the best land use on a, on a piece of property. Um, and some sites allow for both uses. We do have lots of sites where you really are zoning constrained. The city has tried to uh, focus office into certain areas because of pushback against having it bleed out of these areas into neighborhoods. Um, so there are some zoning controls that you have to think about. Um, I, I, would, I would also say, you know, ironically, the, the new office that is built for tomorrow, as opposed to old office, which was built for a different era, as we talk about all these challenges, where the ceilings are low, the floor plates deep and dark, all those sorts of things without op without open space on the floors. Um, the the office buildings of the future are actually in demand, where tenants do actually want to move into these buildings. So there's mm -hmm. going to be reduced demand, but the demand actually may be for more contemporary space that is responsive to what's going on today. Lots mm -hmm. of tenants are looking at changing just how they use the space. You know, everybody's talking about coming to the office to collaborate and doing heads down work at home. And so even that requires reconfiguring the space you're in. And it's anybody who's lived through a home renovation knows living through a renovation is really, really difficult. Oz was getting at it with a, you know, trying to put resi in a building that has office operating at the same time. So one of the, ironies of this in some ways is that it may take some of that new space to take tenants out of these old buildings to really empty them um, to free them up for redevelopment. Um, so I think there'll be less demand um, certainly today, but I don't think it's zero. Um, and I do think the, the mix of uses um, in the neighborhoods is really important. I, I actually think if you look at this, go ahead. Alexis, could I just say one thing? Yeah. Uh, the elephant uh, I, I, that we're, we're missing right now is that the, the construction costs have gone up astronomically. You know, to build a unit of housing right now, you're talking about something on the order of $850,000. Uh, that is combined with uh, rents that went down during uh, COVID of about 35% reduction in rents. They're still about 20% down from where, where they were. So the ability to actually build uh, uh, things right now, build housing right now is very, very limited. Uh, so, are you um, uh, you thinking about taking up like uh, an artisanal ice cream shop, or what are you? <laughs> what's the next? Uh, well, clearly, there's still money in this. No, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's very difficult. You know, a uh, fourth grade arithmetic is used for development. All you need to know is the cost <laughs> of a project, uh, the net operating income, and you divide the cost into the net operating income. If it's five percent, you can probably build. If it's four percent, you can't. And right now, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to uh, another call, Mora in Oakland. Welcome, Mora. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I would love to see some of these spaces converted into studios for artists that would be subsidized. We, in, in this city, in San Francisco, in the East Bay, 
we've lost so many artists because the cost of living here is so astronomical and it would be great to see um, this become an opportunity to bring some of that culture back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that comment more. I mean, Sujata, I wanted to throw this one uh, to you because, you know, I think the cost of a unit, right, uh, Los Angeles is supposed to be, you know, at least recently, according to Kevin's article, was about 580000 San Francisco recently was 700000 We just heard Oz throw out 850000 These are These are really expensive uh, construction costs per unit of housing. Um, what do we do to make this a place where more people can live? Yeah, I think the affordability issue is huge. And I, I don't think it can happen without some amount of subsidy. I think that the, you know, what we heard, what we knew about downtown and, and a lot of the high cost areas of San Francisco is that a lot of people couldn't afford to be there. So small businesses, small um, uh, small manufacturers and artists couldn't occupy a lot of the space. They were unable to afford the rents. And so there have been some programs to try to get the um, office to sort of help to subsidize some of those PDR spaces in certain parts of San Francisco, you know, production distribution repair spaces. And there have been some strategies to try to do some cross subsidization. But of course, that really depends on the strength of the office market. So there's a circularity in a lot of our mechanisms for how we get below market rate housing, how we get below market rate commercial spaces in our buildings. Um, so in the absence of that, I think you're looking at the city actually providing some sort of um, uh, subsidy to be able to pro- to help pay for that differential between what it costs to build a space and what you can lease it for. Mm-hmm. Um, Daphne writes in different set of solutions here. Downtown office buildings should have childcare centers. Give daycare operators free space so they can provide reasonably priced care for children's for workers' children. You would get more workers coming downtown. You know, Kevin, one of your beats at the at the standard is small business policy, economic recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing other plans from, say, the city supervisors or or whatever to make it easier for this kind of thing to happen to try to lure people back to the office? Yeah, we've seen some limited uh, subsidy, some limited aid to try to make the conditions in uh, downtown a little bit easier, provide some grants to some of the small businesses that have really been struggling from the lack of foot traffic. I do like the idea of providing childcare as a kind of magnet to bring people back in the office, a kind of a live work, um, play for the kids at least, uh, sort of combination. Um, but also, you know, I mean, commuting with a three-year-old probably very fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm sure that you know a little bit better than me, Alexis. But uh, yeah, so there, you know, I haven't heard anything on on that end. You know, providing sort of a, a childcare in the office, but I, I do like the idea. I know some um, office spaces that have been developed. You know, in kind of the pre-pandemic era, you have like Uber, which developed their uh, Mission Bay office building. Um, actually did include a kind of a child care center as, as a as a benefit to the office workers. Cliff um, Bar down in Emeryville has one of those too. Yeah, there, there's certainly it seems like the medium sized companies and um, not that Uber's a medium sized company, but, you know, there, there seem to be uh, a, a subset of companies that are that are working on these things. Um, let's get to one more call. Uh, Robert in San Francisco. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you for a very, very interesting program. Uh, so um, I have two questions for the panel. Uh, the first question is, San Francisco currently has 40,000 vacant rental units. 
and they're not being rent, rented out because of uh, draconian uh, rental uh, policies and, and regulations, which make it uh, either t- too much of a hassle or economically unfeasible to rent those out. But if those policies were changed, uh, those rental units would come on market, and uh, that would be uh, at basically zero cost. And uh, my second question is, uh, pre-COVID, commercial space was at a premium downtown. And uh, is it possible that when the next wave of startups comes along, that they will need commercial space because uh, uh, at, at that phase of development of a company, you, you cannot do it virtually. You, you have to have people on site. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, thank you for those uh, queries, Robert. So, Dad, I want to throw the first one to you about sort of how to incentivize more rental units to come onto the market in San Francisco um, I'm not sure about the the specific numbers, but um, just on the, the the general idea. So the, I, I think that the there are a lot of policies in place right now in San Francisco that prevent new housing from being developed. and and among them is we have a really, really crazy discretionary process of approvals for new development in San Francisco that creates huge delays and can take up to seven years to get a project approved. Um, so that creates a huge disincentive. There's also a tremendous amount of risk because even if your project is moving along the process at any point, you could have a lawsuit thrown at you and that project could fall apart. So we're, we're hearing from a lot, you know, and it'd be interesting to hear from Oz and Matt about this, uh, but I, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of risk that makes it harder for projects to get built in San Francisco. Um, you know, and there's, as, as, as Oz mentioned before, there's also this huge cost problem. I think that having really difficult processes also increases the cost for development. So there are a lot of things that the city could be doing to try to remove some of those barriers. Yeah. Uh, got a few comments coming in from listeners. One on the state of downtown. Listener writes, I worked in the financial district for about 25 years. When I pass by there now, I get depressed because it has so many great memories and feel like the financial district is gone forever. Now I work in the Fillmore, which is good, but I just miss working in the financial district. Another <laughs> listener tweets, living in a converted office space could work, but the problem is cost. It doesn't matter how many hundreds of units are offered if the concept of affordable housing is delusional. Folks do not receive wage increases as building owners raise their rent or living costs rise. Thinking of everyone as left, left SF due to cost of living. No converted office space will bring them back unless rents go down to 1990s rates. That seems tough. Uh, the Bay Area is hostile to labor, the working class, and artists. When I leave, I will never return. Hope you stick around. Uh, last, last comment. Michael tweets, uh, I remember when the Board of Supervisors thought that downtown workers were a drag on the economy and introduced the headcount payroll tax. Several companies moved out. We're talking about San Francisco's downtown and the office towers and what to do with them. We're joined by Kevin Trong, a staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco director at Spur, Matt Field, president of TMG Partners, a San Francisco development firm, and Oz Erickson, chairman of Emerald Fund, another developer here in the city. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. 
Got a couple of other uh, questions coming in, maybe for our developers here. Alan writes, the Royal Insurance Building at 201 Sansom Street was a successful condo conversion. It's a historic building, so changes were limited. Was it successful from a financial standpoint? I see units in the building are being resold for above 750000 Have you heard anything, Oz or, uh, or Matt, about that particular building? I have I not. Think that, that was a successful conversion. Uh, it was done years ago, and it it fits that profile of smaller floor plate, historic building where you could keep the skin easier, easier to convert. And, and in a time where it was a lot less expensive to convert. Yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, Damien asks, can the panel say more about the, the potential mixed use, such as live work and, you know, generating, you know, wind or solar energy with some of these buildings. Have you approached any of these uh, kind of concepts? I know it's it's pretty standard to separate out office towers from residential spaces. But Sujata, I was watching a spur panel in which a building in Honolulu actually kept both was sort of developed so that there was some office and some residential. Have you explored that, uh, Matt or Oz, or is that Pretty, well, pretty let, me, far let, me, let me just say one yeah. thing about the, uh, re- the use of retail. In uh, back before live work came a, a nasty word in San Francisco, it was very successful to do live work in what are now only exclusively retail areas. Hmm. And for example, on Mission Street, there are thousands of square feet of uh, retail that is that nobody wants, and those would be ideal to convert to live work, where you could have uh, people working and living in the same space. That it came out of fashion in San Francisco due to politics, but it is a concept that should certainly be reintroduced. Yeah. Matt, how about you? Do you see, uh, other than the solutions that we're talking about, and obviously from your specific perspective as a developer here in the city, um, what do you see as the solution either for housing generally in the city or for this downtown core? Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, look, we're an opportunistic company and we're always looking. We've done, we've probably done 25 building rehabs we've done a bunch of conversions um and so we're looking constantly to to figure this out here's what i'll say is partial conversion you trip all the same codes the second you change the use you're tripping codes for seismic upgrades all sorts of now you have dual systems in the building it gets complicated um you know i think unfortunately the um regulations in the city which are incredibly well uh intended um create um, real difficulties for these hybrid solutions. The earlier uh, caller who said, put tiny homes in there. You've got to, again, you're back to, you're, you got to have the home that has to have a bedroom, has to have a window. It's a change of use. You have to seismically upgrade the building. When you seismically upgrade, you're getting the building. So there are just a lot of, we, if we could uh, think about the, think about some of these codes for conversion. I think that would that would help. I do think we will see um, economic recovery. San Francisco is a, a laggard, unfortunately, right now in the country in terms of uh, office occupancy. Um, and I do think we will see over time yeah. um, some, some return to the mean. But I think that we're going to see uh, the need to convert spaces um, and program buildings more. I think if you think about most real estate these days, um, it's got it's more programmed to have a reason to be there. I think it's very hard to tell someone to hop on the mm-hmm. BART or Muni um, just to just to come downtown. And and I think we're going to see programming like you see in apartments or hotels where, you know, things like the Commonwealth Club, you know, programming, programming like this. You know, yeah. you would have something to come down and 
you know, spend, spend your time at work, but then you've got other things to do afterwards. And I think building owners are increasingly going to be more in an operating uh, business hmm. than perhaps they were in the past. Oh, so um, and I think it'll make yeah. for a more dynamic environment. Um, and so I think that, those that, that don't do that won't succeed. Yeah, that's certainly what we did at 100 Van Ness. We have a whole floor of a uh, 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 sort of activity space uh, <laughs> where tenants can gather and they can do all sorts of different activities. And it has, it has been exactly uh, successful. Uh, got a couple of uh, last comments, actually, uh, comparing things to uh, to New York. Jeff writes, just returned from New York City and Manhattan, where things are bustling. Think your building experts are a little narrow-minded. Uh, these don't have to be perfect housing solutions if they're transitory. They could easily have simple mattress on the floor, access to the bathroom, and kitchenette that they already have. Anything is better than these folks in tent cities. We've got to be more flexible in our thinking, not just in our building. Just want to uh, say... I don't think any of those things would be to our current code. That would probably require quite a few uh, uh, changes in, in the way that, that, that San Francisco approaches uh, building. Uh, Roger writes, how did New York City convert hundreds of downtown buildings in the Wall Street area? Is it San Francisco's seismic requirements that make the projects difficult and untenable? Um, is that the, the big thing? We got about 20 seconds. Uh, well, so is, is seismic really the big difference between San Francisco and other places? I kind of want to jump in and oh, yeah. and sure, talk a little bit about how Los Angeles was able to successfully um, do. They, they In 1999, they passed an adaptive reuse ordinance that led to 14,000 units being built in mm. the downtown city. And part of that was actually relaxing some of these seismic retrofitting and relaxing some of the building codes that were Absolutely. put in place. Um, and, and, you know, if you combine that with some of the subsidies that maybe the state and the city can put together, maybe uh, we'll start to kind of tip the scales and... Um, change the calculus for for developers to actually start bringing these units in. That's a great board. Check out Kevin's article, Turning Downtown Offices into Housing Isn't the Solution. You think it is for the rest of the details on what he's talking about there. It's Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. We've also been joined by Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco director at Spur, Matt Field, president at TMG Partners, Oz Erickson, chairman at the Emerald Fund. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've been talking about San Francisco's downtown core. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole 
for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.